0: The scripture this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 35 to 48. Uh, The Lord is uh, talking with His disciples, and He's discussing watchfulness and responsibility. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming... He would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Peter asked, "'Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone?' The Lord answered, "'Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns.'" I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the men servants and maidservants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers." That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come to you with praise and thanks for the multitude of blessings with which you have enriched our lives, Lord. There are so many that we can't count them, but we humbly ask this morning, Lord, for yet one more. Father, we desire to have our hearts and minds open to the message we're about to receive from your servant, Joel. We ask that the Holy Spirit be with him as he seeks to pinpoint the truth and wisdom in your holy word that we might leave this morning with a sense of refreshment and resolution to heed the intent of your word spoke so long ago. We praise you, we thank you, and we love you, Lord. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks, Steve.
1: Before you turn uh, or close, close your scriptures, Let me just go through the scripture with you one more time because I'm going to be saying something to you this morning that is just the opposite of what you've heard preached on this before, which is not uncommon for this church. We try to do everything in opposites. Um, Let me first go through some technicalities so that you can understand uh, the original manuscript and some some, um, details about the manuscript that you may not know. First of all, the entire message is preached in the first segment of those parables. Be in readiness. It is a present participle imperative, which means literally be the kind of person who is always ready, so ready that you don't have to be reminded. Traditionally, this message or this passage has been interpreted by scriptures Let's be ready because the Lord is coming again. The passage literally means, let's be ready whether or not the Lord comes again. Traditionally, people have said, they have gone around in a frenzy saying, you know, well, I know these are the last days. These are just the last days. It's got to be the last days. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses come around and they try to talk to you into the fact that, don't you know the world's coming to an end? Don't you feel like everything's just going to blow up in your face? terribly frustrated. You say, no, I think it's going okay. You know, <laughs> just trying to work them so they, they work on the basis of the world is coming to an end. Very, very, very many of the cults have been formed on the basis of predicting the end of the world and when the rapture is going to happen or when the Lord's going to come again and so on and so forth. And some of the Orthodox Christian segments of Christianity have come very close to trying to work up a frenzy or a hype among the people, try to work up a religiosity among the people on the basis of they're going to get caught doing something wrong because Jesus is going to come at any second. Well, that could, come, that could happen. And the Lord could literally come. I mean, he could come before I get done talking here and be fine. But that's not what this message is saying. That's not what this passage is talking about. It is talking about being the kind of person that will be responsible no, how, no matter how long it takes for the Lord to come again. It's just the opposite of what you usually hear. Now, when he says, the master went away to a wedding feast, let me give you a picture of that. And we don't know whether it's this guy's wedding or a friend's wedding, doesn't say. But it usually went like this, that somebody would, the, the groom would march in the night to the bride's house in order to collect her. (laughs) And and then, after a while, he would take her home to his house. Now, a wedding back then didn't last 20 minutes or half an hour or an hour like it does today. A wedding would last at least a few days, sometimes a couple weeks, sometimes a month or more. I mean, they had a celebration. And so there was, no time, there was no telling how long the master would be away. He could be away just a few, few days, could be away over a month. I mean, if, if he wasn't the groom, <clears throat> he could stay over with the family, just hang out. So there was no telling. If he was the groom, now watch this, they had to be even more ready because not only would the master come back, but the entire wedding party would come back. So they said you got to get your your loins girded. Now what they mean by that is of course they all wore the skirts and they wore the leather belts and to gird your loins you simply reached back and got the back hem of that belt and stuck it inside the belt. So you turned a dress into Bermuda shorts. I mean basically that was it. Because it was a lot more fun to work in Bermudas than it is in a dress. A lot easier to run you know in Bermudas than it is in a dress. So that's what means wear Bermudas would would be the modern translation of this. Be ready to run. You know, work around the house. Um, You know, when somebody comes and you're in your shorts, don't be embarrassed. Tell them your loins are girded. If they're a Christian, they'll know what you mean. If not, shut the door real quick. It says whether he comes in the second or third watch. In uh, in Rome, uh, in the Roman Empire, the the night was divided into four watches. In Jewish uh, tradition, it was divided into three watches. But basically, it says, even if he comes at the end of the night, at the very times when it is hardest to keep awake, he could come at that time. Um, Verse 42, I want to tell you this. I want you to note the order in which those words are. When Peter says, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? The Lord says, who then? In other words, he doesn't answer his question. He starts categorizing people. The first category he has is the faithful and wise servant. Now, I want you to notice the order of that. Most Christians, when they join up, want to reverse the order. You give me wisdom, and I'll be faithful. You tell me what to do, and I'll do it. You give me enough information and I'll act on it. Give me wisdom before faithfulness. That's not the order of scripture. The order of scripture is you act on what you know. You act on the best you have. And from that you will gain wisdom. That's the order of scripture. God always calls us to faithfulness before wisdom. So, Who is the faithful and wise servant? And he starts, he starts uh, dividing them up. And one more. Uh, um, well, let me give you the general categories. First of all, he gives a category, there's the faithful and wise servant. And then he says, but there's going to be some others. There are three basic categories. First of all, it's the slave that says in his heart, master will be a long time in coming, and he begins to beat the slaves and both men and women, um, yeah, both men and women are maidservants and men servants. Literally, the word here comes from the, from the Greek word paos, which, which is a word for a child. So in other words, this guy is so mean that he is not only using the master's goods for his own gratification, but he is being cruel to defenseless people who are given into his care. He is being downright mean. Um, They're not just subordinates. They are people of decreased capacity. Okay, that's one category. And the punishment there is, that person is going to get cut off from believers. Now, the imagery is that if a Roman master came home and found his house in disorder, he literally had the right to take a, a, a sword and cleave... The chief steward in half. He could do that. When he says cut to pieces here, though, the image for Christians is that he will be cut in half, he will be cut off from the fellowship of believers. That is the one who does not take any account of the master. If there are those of us in here who operate lives in which we are not taking any account of the Master, that is the judgment. Got to tell you, plain and simple. When the time comes, you will be cut off from believers. That's the category. Secondly, though, there's another category. It's a category who does take account of the Master. He knows his master's will, see? However, he doesn't get ready. He believes, but he doesn't obey. And the Bible says that he will receive many lashes. In other words, he will be punished. He will suffer consequences for his outright rebellion, because that's what that is. Now, there's a third category, and it's not rebellion. It's stupidity. Ignorance, folly. The Bible says there is a group of people who just flat don't know. I mean, they just never heard. They were never taught. They don't know. Now, they suffer the consequences of their behavior. I mean, ignorance knows no favorites. And so anytime we're stupid about something, anytime we um, do something that is stupid, we're going to suffer the same consequences no matter what our degree of belief is. There are natural consequences that come from natural acts. But as far as the judgment of God goes, ignorance really is a defense. And he does understand if, no, in some, if someone has not yet had the chance to learn that. And he does take that into account. Scripture says. So there are three categories of judgment. Now, <clears throat> what's this trying to say? First of all, let me tell you that the reason that we're so quick to jump on this is the Lord's coming again so we can all go to heaven is because most Christians I know who have a full faith are much readier to go to heaven than they are to live on earth. We all have this kind of let the Lord come again. I know several enthusiastic Christians that that's all they can talk about when the Lord comes again. And I keep thinking, what about for the people who haven't heard Him yet? You know, maybe he could just tarry a while as far as... Oh, let me t- turn to the scripture here. In P- Second Peter <clears throat> chapter 3, it says, the Lord is not slow about his promises. It's talking about the Lord coming again. This is chapter uh, 3, verse 9. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, like I thought he was supposed to show up by now, but is patient toward you, Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now that says something about um, Doctrine and Limit of Atonement uh, for you Presbyterians with us. But it also says something about why God is stalling. Because he cares as much for those who are not saved as he does for those who are saved. It's just that simple. He wants all to come to him. And as Christians, you know, when we get converted and we say, okay, the Lord can come again now, we're not having the mind of Christ or the heart of God. Because we should be concerned, we should be glad if he tarries a while. So that we can share with other people and they can get into heaven too. Secondly, we're always, I mean, most of us have very strenuous lives. Most of us have more problems we could shake a stick at. To be honest, you know, I'd like to stand up here and say, <clears throat> of course, if you're a believer, you don't have any problems. We go, go into an Oral Roberts. God, God's bigger than all our problems, and God is bigger than all our problems, but we still got problems. Let's be honest with one another. And it is important that we don't try to escape those it's neat to be able to die at any time. It really is. I, was, I spoke at an uh, FCA banquet Thursday, a fellowship of Christian athletes, and the guy sitting across from me was a teacher and, and coach at Deltona. He told me about a minister friend in here of his who was minister in the inner city, someplace in Tennessee. And he was just turning crack dealers in right and left. I mean, just turning them in. And finally, a couple of them came to his house, got him, took him out into the woods, held a gun to his head, and said, if you don't stop squealing, we are going to kill you. And the guy looked at him and grinned. And he said, what are you grinning about? And he said, you can't threaten me with eternal life. <laughs> it's neat not to be able to not, to, not to have to be afraid to die. That's great. That is wonderful. But this isn't about dying. And this isn't about going. This is about staying. He would say three things to us through this passage. First of all, he wants us to know what it's like to work with a delay factor in our lives, to build the kind of character in our lives so that we can cope with Delayed gratification instead of have to have immediate gratification. He wants that. Romans 5 says that let us count it all joy when we suffer. Because suffering produces perseverance. Thanks brother. Perseverance produces character. Character, hope. You understand? Now there is no way. that we are ever going to produce character. No way we're ever going to produce perseverance if we have immediate gratification. If the master is always there and saying, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. Terrific. Keep it up. The only way we develop perseverance is to feel alone and unrewarded For our obedience. Now that's a tough road to hoe, isn't it? But you tell me a way to develop perseverance without problems. Tell me a way to develop a tendency to hang on, the character that will not give up. When every time we've done something good, there's a voice saying, Wonderful, that's my baby. No way. This is saying that the master goes away and the test comes when he is away. Test doesn't come when he comes back. That's the final grade when he comes back. The test comes when he is away. So all of these folks that are saying, well, we got to get on the stick because the Lord's coming again. You know, last year we had the 88 reasons why Jesus was coming in an 88 scare. Well, get ready, because I heard on the article, I heard on the radio that this guy said, Oh, I missed a year. It's supposed to be 89. We're going to go through it again. Here we go again. The point of this couple parables is we don't know when he will come. If we think we know, he won't come then. What does the Bible say? Say, he will come at an hour, what? When he is not expected, an hour that he does not know. So the point isn't to figure out when he's coming. The point is to figure out what character to we're to have, no matter when he comes. We're in this for the long haul, and that's very important. There are a couple of re- there, are, there, are, there are a couple of things that he's trying to teach us. One is that he does not want us to behave on whipped-up human emotion. One of the things I love about being here is that we don't have to work ourselves into a religious frenzy. we get all the spirit with none of the hype. It's great. We don't have to get ourselves in a certain category emotionally before we have the audacity to go out and do our faith. That's great. And sometimes we don't even sense the direct presence of the Lord. But we'll do it anyhow. That's great. There's a delay factor. Someday, when I stand before God, someday, when the Lord gives me what I've been asking for, I don't need it right now. I'll be obedient to as much as I know right now, but someday. Second thing that is very important is that we are to operate not only not having immediate gratification, but not even to have an immediate sense of direction or presence. Now, this is tough to say. This is tough to say. Because I tell you Sunday after Sunday that the whole essence of Christianity is not Christianity, it's Christ. That what we're here to do is to worship Christ, to come to know Him personally, so that what He says we can hear. And I'm not kidding. But you know what? All of us, again, if we're honest with one another, will go through times in our lives, very desert, dry times, when we can't hear God, and we don't feel His nearness. There are some people I know that have been blatantly honest with me and came in and come in and sat down and said, you know, everybody keeps saying Jesus told me this and God told me that, and you know, I just had a you know a real confirmation in this. And that. I got to be honest with you, I've never heard him. He's never told me anything. I have accepted Christ. I've dedicated my life to him, and I don't hear from him. Does that mean I'm not saved? Uh Uh-uh. This means the master's away. You know, you're on your own for a little bit. He'll come back. There are some of you who say, You know, I used to feel close. I used to think I knew him. He used to talk with me. We used to just, I mean, every place I saw, I saw him. But I don't feel like that anymore. Does that mean I really didn't have it? No. It just means that we need to be able to operate no matter how we feel. It means even when we can't sense his nearness, and much of the time, it's because of us. I mean, God does withdraw for a certain purpose, Jesus was alone in the desert to face Satan. Jesus went out in the garden at night and all of his friends fell asleep talking with God and even on the cross Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? He felt totally isolated but he was still obedient. Whether or not we feel near to God is not the issue The issue is, what are we doing with what he's given us? That's the third category. You notice in this parable, or in these parables, when he comes back, he is not judging on our moral character. When we accept Christ, our moral character has been put into the life of Christ so that whenever God sees us, he sees us through the life of Christ and our moral character is not the issue anymore. When he comes back, what he is judging on is how well we've done with what he's given us to take care of. That's the judgment. Now, here's the question. How well have we done with what he's given us? There is a point at which we need to determine if we are going to be the kind of person that is always girded up, that is always ready to work, that is always ready to look for, Lord, to, for the Lord and to greet him as a friend, as a master that we have to say at every point of my life, I will take a regular check on how I am doing with what God has given, whether or not this would please the master. You say, boy, that's, you know, you mean I got to do that every day? What have I done with what you've given me today? That's exactly what I mean. Exactly what I mean. And when the world would say to us, in all of its darkness time to sleep time to relax time to let up God would say to us check it out check it out God would say to us don't be afraid of me but I might come to you tonight and I'm going to ask you what you've given me yes I know it's a terrible burden And I know it's a lot of work to have your house in order. But I want to know whether you have or not. When we become Christians, a lot of us expect that we will be able just to sit back now that our moral character is taken care of and not really work hard. The reason Jesus gave this parable is because he wanted to balance not taking worldly cares into our fullest Value system, I mean not depending on what we had in the world, not caring about what we have in the world, but now he's saying you've got to care for what you have in the world. At every step of the way, you've got to say, am I caring for the nation God has given me? Am I caring for the church God has given me? Am I caring for the family God has given me? Am I caring for the job that God has given me? Am I caring for the, uh, the, the family, the kids, my spouse, My friends, am I I caring for those? You say, gosh, that's a terrible, that's hard. You bet it is. But that kind of caring will keep you healthy. It keeps you healthier than not caring, than trying to be isolated and feeding on all of the benefits of what God has given you instead of working toward their health. 1987, December 29th, a cosmonaut came back, Russian cosmonaut, from I think it was like 321 days in space. And when he got off that spaceship, space capsule, he was healthy. Just five years before that time, 1982, two Russian cosmonauts had gone up for only 210 days, quite a bit less time. And when they came back, They had dizziness, they had heart palpitations, um, they were disoriented. It took them, um, I think, a week to learn how to walk again, to be able to walk again. It took them a full month to recuperate uh, the atrophied muscles. Because in a weightless environment, when there's absolutely no resistance on any muscle movement, muscles atrophy. You know what they did, what the Russian scientists did between the time, 1982 and 1987? They developed what they called a penguin suit. It was a suit that was all elastic. And these guys put it on so that every muscular movement they made, even their breathing, had resistance. Everything they did was work. And that resistance, that work, made their bodies healthy. Now what God is saying to us is this. Don't be afraid I'm going to come again. Do the work that I gave you to do. Take care of what I gave you to take care of. And you will be healthy and you'll be glad to see me. Now how do we stand? Frankly, as I look out, as I look at my own life, I don't know that we're doing so good. I don't know that we're doing so good. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that we're taking care of what God told us to take care of. As a matter of fact, I think we're doing terrible. And I hate to say this, and this is going to be unpleasant, but this is not one of those pleasant sermons. You know, you won't leave here smiling. Hopefully, again, remember the difference between a mature Christian and an immature Christian. Immature Christian comes to church to be satisfied. A mature Christian comes to church to be changed. That's the difference. So hopefully, whereas you are not going to be satisfied with this, we can find some ways to change. I don't think we're doing so hot with our country because I don't think we're looking after it. I don't think we're taking care of it. Lon got up a minute ago and talked about the abortion issue. And frankly, all I hear about the abortion issue are, comes from a standpoint of human rights. He was exactly right. We're either talking about the rights of the mother... Or the rights of the unborn child. And this rights is against this rights. We don't talk about what God wants. What the master would do. What would please God. That's the issue. We're supposedly a Christian nation. You know 96% of Americans believe in God. 96%. Thank you George Gallup. 80% profess to be Christians. But there are a hundred times more burglaries in Christian America than in pagan Japan. In my last church, there was a man who had spent 26 years as a missionary in Japan, and when he brought his family back from that environment... They almost had a breakdown after they got to America because our culture was so violent and so aggressive and so insensitive. I'm not sure we're doing all that great. I'm not sure we're taking care of what God told us to take care of. Do you realize we have the lowest ratio voter turnout of any free country in the world? Lowest one. Our turnout in voting, in the simple act of voting, is lower than, listen to this, totalitarian regimes that every once in a while have a rigged referendum. Everybody knows it's rigged and they still get a higher percentage of their people out to vote in a fixed election than we do in free elections. I don't think we're doing so hot. I don't think we're taking care of what God gave us. What about the church? Well, we're having a good time, aren't we? But I wonder sometimes, just quite honestly, if the church just isn't an extension of our social system. Come to place, come to a, a place to come to to be with friends, you know. Learn about God. That's nice. But isn't it wonderful what's happening here at Northland? Look at all the people God's sending us, and look at all the money He's sending us, and look at how He's blessing us. Not the point. The point is that we are sent here, not for our friends, but for those who can't repay us. Every Sunday, God sends through that door people who are lonely, people who are confused, people who are devastated, people who are searching. And what are they likely to find when they come here? They're likely to find groups of Christians gathered around in their own little circles gratifying ourselves. I'm guilty too. Because we like to hang around with one another not because we have our eye on those who need us most. And you know what we're talking about in those groups? How great this wonderful church is. And how isn't it wonderful that we don't have those problems all of the other churches do. You know what? I know you do. If there's somebody who walks through that door and needs to be shown God's love and they come here week after week and no one speaks to them, there is no church in this town that has a bigger problem than we do. Because God doesn't send us problems. He sends us people. He doesn't give us things to solve. The word solve is not in the New Testament. You can't find it anywhere in the New Testament. The word encourage is. The word strengthen is. The word comfort is. Solve is not. God doesn't send us problems to solve. He sends us people love. How are we doing with what we've been given? How are you doing with your kids? You've been given some of the most wonderful kids I have ever met in my life. And I have too. How much time you spend with them? Is it the school's job to educate them and the church's job to instill morals in them? And somebody else's job to become their peer and understand what's going on in their life? Is it everybody else's responsibility? I know it's scary talking to a kid. I get scared talking with my kids. I know it's intimidating. But let me ask you this. When's the last time you overcame your fear and sat down with them and said, I haven't talked with you in a long time. I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to know. And they roll their eyes and say, nothing, you know. How's it going? Fine. Tell you what, though, you hang in there long enough and you'll hear. You'll hear. How you doing with that? How long since you read a Bible story to your kids? How long since you and your wife talked about the Lord so that they could overhear? Not so that they could overhear, but because that's just a part of your normal conversation. You know, I've watched parents... Absolutely, heap attention on children that were so debilitated, so permanently retarded, so permanently disabled that they would never know the attention that they were receiving from their mothers and fathers. Why is it that we with healthy kids can't do that? How are we doing? How about with your spouse? I'm almost done here. It's getting hot. here. Is it hot in here? <laughs> I'm sweating. I don't know about you. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one that's hot. What about your spouse? You know what a gift he's given you? You used to think it was a gift, didn't you? Do you still think it's a gift? You know, that's not really yours, that's his. She or he is still his, but he's given them for a while. How often do you talk? How much attention do you pay? I watched my grandmother go to the nursing home to visit my grandfather after he had had several strokes. And senility had set in. And I'd like to say that after 50-some years that they had always had an ideal marriage, but they had had a rocky marriage. Those of you, I think I've told some of you before, he was a beer-drinking, cigar-chewing veterinarian. Nothing dainty about him. And yeah, he believed in God, but he wasn't about to go to church and sit with all those hypocrites. My grandma was just the opposite. Refined Little lace hanky always stuck up her sleeve. He gambled, she prayed. And I bet you they went through hell together. As a matter of fact, I can guarantee you they did because I heard the stories. But after 50 years... She watched my grandfather recede into a world that was his past. And she would go and he'd be tied in his wheelchair. And for a while he recognized her, but then he began to call her by her maiden name. You know how the shade comes down and you regress. And and he began to ask her out on dates. and, And then he began not to recognize her. He began to be as a little child. And then he began not to be able to speak. And every day she'd go, and every day she'd clean him up. Every day she'd kiss him. And every day she'd cry. And you and I have healthy spouses, and we don't pay that kind of attention to them. How are we doing? And when are we going to start doing better? Would you pray with me? God, John was right. We have tried to be God. We have tried to take over for you. And we have abused what you have given us. And Steve was right. You've given us more than we can ever ever thank you for we do ask your forgiveness for not paying attention for not taking better care help us to gird our loins to be ready to take care to listen to our wives and our husbands and our children Help us to take care of the jobs you've given us, such as they are. They may not be what we want, but they're what you've given us. Help us to pay attention. Help us to take care of the people you send us. They may not be as much fun as we could have, but there is no deeper character than when a person lays down his life and contributes to a life where they cannot be repaid. And the nation, Lord, it's going to take a long time. But if you give us a long time to learn to live as your Son, Jesus Christ... Let us live that way. When we feel lonely and we want you back, help us just to be faithful so that when you come back, it'll be a great celebration. In Jesus' name, amen.